0: That could have been something, but (laughs) oh, I I would never have thought you'd want to include that. So wow, Um, ladies and gentlemen, Liz will insist that we cut this, but she just called me cute. Here we go.
1: Um, what episode number is this?
0: I don't know. You do you know? You probably know, right?
1: It's right there, written next, next to the big red button. Which I is just, not a I, button, but I, yeah. it's like flashing, which is an it's annoying. It's called thing. the
0: recording symbol. Um, we are on episode one hundred and sixty-nine here. Yeah, I'm not going to make any sixty-nine jokes.
1: Absolutely not. Well, you shouldn't because it's one sixty-nine, not sixty-nine. So there's it, no place for those jokes. As it, those jokes refer to a different number. These are no. Two the one numbers. is like
0: another guy standing there watching you guys do it. <laughs> That's what 169 is. It's like a, it's
1: like that's a, the 69 cuck.
0: Yeah. Well, he's not a cuck. Yeah. You know, he's just like you know, you never you I mean, uh, maybe uh, you know, sometimes your boy's just there. Like you know, you got a guy staying with you or something. You're like, yeah, you don't want to make him feel weird. You just let him come in. No. Well, I do. <laughs> Hello ladies and germs. Uh no, and you know what? What?
1: First I would like to say this. Hello, no.
0: Brace. Hi, Liz. How you doing? We're back. It's nice
1: to see you again.
0: It's a pleasure to see you again how was your uh how was you your know vacation what?
1: young chomsky usually never mentioned this way as we'll mention you later hello it's nice to see you as well <laughs> it's good to see you guys uh
0: actually i'll be real with you it's not great to see you guys oh, i no. would have, i would love the week off and if frankly another if every... what yeah i'll take another oh, week God. off in fact, I was thinking of this, we could do this kind of new schedule thing where we just kind of had like a week off indefinitely.
1: <laughs> Every week off.
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, I mean what do we got? Like two years worth of episodes now? We could just unlock all the rest ones. We could just mm. fucking, we could coast on that for a year. I don't think so.
1: There's too much to talk about. There is way too much to the talk about. The world is moving. The earth is spinning. The stars are aligning. Turn on his back.
0: Just like COVID.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true on season delta.
0: Mm-hmm. The vaccines, they made you barren, they made you retarded, and they gave you COVID. <laughs> and now they are sitting you in your damn little chair right now to listen to true once yeah. again. They um, gave you
1: everything except no one's tracking you because they don't care.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, we're technically tracking the metrics on this. Oh, we are? Yeah, I it's crazy. You can actually just see when not only people like start and stop listening to episodes, uh you can actually see who's listening to the show.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what um the little webcam is for.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I do have a list of all of our um most handsome young male listeners here uh and i'm willing to sell that list to anybody who well i will put the cash app in the bio of this episode but oh if you cash app me put in the note uh give me the b list i will send you a list of them
1: the b list that's yeah. cute
0: well there's like not that many guys on it yeah not an a list here's what you're saying my name is brace the first name on the b list
1: <laughs> I'm Liz. Hello, everyone. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky. The podcast you are listening to is true Welcome. Welcome. We're Welcome. back. Yeah, we're back. And uh, quite frankly, um, we're doing another episode. Brace isn't fully in the swing of it yet. I oh yeah, all right.
0: Well, well, I I didn't sleep (sighs) so great last night, and uh, I know yeah 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 yeah. I drank a lot of caffeine today, and I think I just I went over the uh, the threshold for whether I'm good or not. But Mm. I'm just gonna keep talking and and, uh, insist that we keep all of it. Yeah, we are talking today about. Well, first I want to give some background here, Liz. You got really bummed out. I think in an actual non funny way when I texted you about this the other night.
1: Wait, really? When? Wait, what did uh, you text me about?
0: You know the I'm making a hand gesture here, but no,
1: that, stop it, stop it, stop it. You, you oh, that. that thing. Yes, I didn't like that that text. Yeah,
0: yeah. And Will you Liz, read that text? Uh, okay, I got to scroll back. Um, to I'm searching Liz. Oh, it looks like I'm just talking about you with a bunch of people. So I got to actually find the text message. <laughs> actually did on you uh
1: <laughs> also because i think that you there was like an autocorrect or like a spelling mistake that i think is very funny all
0: right i said i'm gonna try it in mad mad turbate mad tur actually is how apparently i spelled it <laughs> and then in a separate text to corporate memphis women tonight i don't think it's gonna work and i have to try uh and i i also told you not to take that weird and then you, you definitely you you did what did it. I say? You said, I, I have to take that weird. And then you said, that's weird, dude. <laughs> um, and then I sent a bunch of texts about how that's my way in. and
1: Yeah, I didn't know exactly what you what, – into what, I think, was what I was concerned about.
0: Yeah, and judging by the text message, I didn't, I didn't actually fully answer that. But I will do that on the show, uh, later on the show today, actually. But, but I want to make it clear here. something That, that is something that we're going to be talking about today uh, is, is it's not directly related to the actual subject subject of the show, but I spent so many hours looking at these images that I'm Mm -hmm. sort of, we're sort of shoehorning it in. But, uh, if you are near your phone, which I assume you are right now, and especially if you're driving operating heavy machinery or Mm -hmm. watching your baby, I want you to Google in a private tab, uh, corporate Memphis, uh, art style. And then you can try to Google corporate Memphis women, but then you actually get a bunch of women who work at, corporations in the city of memphis uh and oh, that's sure. like you yep. know kind of ruins the vibe um and uh and i, I, I want you to the, the, the people call this colloquially you know the big tech art style whatever it's used in like every single tech company most notably facebook mm. and uh startup and I, blue yes yeah exactly liz's liz's fintech startup that she's been trying to shill to our mm. uh, our subscribers behind my back um young chomsky's uh straight menswear blog, uh, basically everything, my uh, bootleg fentanyl patches. We're, we're all using this art style to try to sell our different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I realized that in order to fully tap in to the, uh, I don't want to use this word, but I guess I have to, the zeitgeist. Oh, uh, I thought you we were
1: going to go with mindset. The mindset.
0: Well, yeah, the zeitgeist mindset. Uh, I uh, decided to start masturbating to the women that are pictured in these drawings.
1: Yeah, I just think there's a better way. Or not even just a better way, but like any other way.
0: I'm glad you, that you still think I have to do it in some way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, and so uh, when we get to sort of the latter part of the episode today, I want you to keep in mind that I've been looking at these pictures in the bathroom in a normal way, uh, on the on the bus. I've been looking at these pictures out to getting out food with other people. Um, and I think I finally get it, and I think I'm ready to to sort of speak the language of the modern world.
1: Well, before we get into that, we should actually introduce what we're talking about today, which isn't just corporate Memphis ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, like Bray said, we will get to that. Uh, and not in a Liz way. We actually will get to that. Um, but actually, <laughs> what brought all of this on was the events in Cuba. Mm-hmm. The week that um, we were on vacation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You did a little accent on the name there. I don't know. Sometimes it's fun. The people of the island prison of Cuba have risen up. (laughs) (laughs) In their
1: most defiant act yet. Yes, in their their, (laughs) –
0: in in an orgy of fury for freedom. Uh,
1: Finally, the people of Cuba – the people in the streets of Cuba can speak. We can hear what, you know, the Cuban subaltern yearns to say.
0: hmm Which is uh they want to sing along to the rap song Patria y Vida. <laughs> no, so unless you were living under a damn rock like a fucking salamander, uh, or some other kind of fucking reptile, uh, you you would have been Absolutely insane not to have noticed the barrage of media stories mm. from, uh, from the perverts in all the damn newspapers and radio shows in the country talking to you about how the Cuban people are finally sick of a guy with two last names running their country <laughs> and a sclerotic dictatorship that is keeping them in chains and away from the free market and also um, a wider variety of tank top t-shirts. The
1: regime. You might the have regime. heard a lot about the regime. Yes. I love whenever the fake news media and its lackeys, little lackeys, call things the regime. That's when you know things are bad. The regime.
0: Yes, and and so there, you know, there was an explosion of protests. I think starting on July 11th, they uh, seemed to have lost quite a lot of steam. But there was there was uh, much newsprint spilled, which I feel like is a real old way, old time way of saying it uh about how there was you know this this unprecedented at least since the 1990s, uh you know uprising uh, word was used quite a few times, and then this terrible authoritarian police uh, retaliation, arrests of activists there was a uh my one of our favorite uh, Liz and I were talking about this uh, a few days ago, one of our favorite words being bandied about genocide of the Cuban people happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, uh, with at a total of a single confirmed death, uh, appears to be one of the most island time genocides to ever happen in human history.
1: Yeah, I think some of my favorite comments were actually people. Um, and po- I think even American, I mean, especially American politicians, who said that they didn't even qualify this with since the '90s. They just said of all time, this was the mm-hmm. biggest uprising uh, in Cuban history, which um, you know takes a lot of goal, I'll say.
0: (laughs) So there are some roots to the protests that actually are based in reality here. You know, uh, this is the the situation in Cuba is not so hot. And there are are a few different points that that should probably be made to give a little history to them. So one of them, and one of the most talked about things is the food shortages that are currently going on in Cuba. So I have been to Cuba and they have, I have been to the kosher ration depot in Havana, uh, where I was taken. Which is very cute. Yes. I, I maybe have told the story in the podcast before, but uh I was uh I had a couple of very large um uh gentlemen on the street yell yodi, yodi at me, uh instantly recognizing uh the curvature type nature of my nose and then insist on just showing me a kosher ration depot and then letting me go in my merry way. Um but there is a, a, a not necessarily a food shortage as in people are starving in the streets, although the food situation is pretty dire there. But they do have a ration system and the rations have not been as, let's say, bountiful as they might usually be. So a little background to this too is that Cuba uh, Cuba has previously undergone a pretty severe food shortage in the 1990s during what's called the special Part uh, period. Uh this is if you're actually in Cuba, this is a pretty important point piece of recent history. Uh it was a very difficult time for the island, starting about nineteen ninety-two with the fall of the USSR. And uh the USSR was not only Cuba's main trading partner, but also was a pretty heavily subsidizing certain parts of the island's industry. So when they went under uh Cuba's dollars went way down. And mm-hmm. uh, Cuba is not uh, able to necessarily grow all the food. I mean, it's, you know, it's a tropical island and not the largest island in the world. And so they're not able to be fully self-sufficient with food. I mean, most countries import a certain amount of food. Cuba is no different. There's a lot of different statistics bandied about, about around this. The most reliable one I found seems to be about between like 40 and 60% of food is imported. Um, so in 92 this happens. you know. Russia goes down. Cuba loses basically all of its foreign aid. And at the same time, the United States tightens the noose around Cuba with a couple of pretty important acts, one called the Torricelli Act or the Cuban Democracy Act, and the other one called the Helms Burden Act. So the Torricelli Act has a couple... I mean, the act is pretty short. You can read it online. But there are a couple pretty important passages from that, uh, one of which says, all countries trading with Cuba should discontinue doing so as well as cancel any economic activity within the country. Any country trading with Cuba risks not being eligible from aid from the U.S. And that actually is true. Countries trading with Cuba do have a harder time. I mean, obviously, a lot more countries trade with uh, with Cuba now. But in the past, especially, countries trading with Cuba has have had a harder time getting aid from the U.S. for, uh, for things like food, etc., in their own countries. That same year, in 1992, the U.S. also pardoned, I should add, Orlando Bosch, who we have talked about in several different episodes of the show, but who is a notorious Cuban terrorist who blew up an airliner with, I think, around 72 Cuban civilians, including, I believe, the national fencing team on board killing all of them.
1: Yeah. During this time, I mean, gas, bread, all of this was severely rationed. Uh, There were... You know shortages of medical supplies uh people without medications um people without eyeglasses like all of that i think cubans you know very much remember this period
0: yeah a lot of cubans grew really unhealthy during this time people lost a ton of weight and i'm not saying that in like a flippant way like like the actual like you know poundage of the average person on the island went down uh this was met, of course, by huge protests in 1994 as people were like, what the fuck? I'm very yeah. hungry. Like, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, market reforms followed. And there, of mm-hmm. course, have since been market reforms uh, since 2011, meaning the market or excuse me, the country's economy has become much more relative to how it was much more liberal, although they say they're you know, still on the socialist path.
1: Yeah, we should put a pin in that because that'll become important for a context of these, these current protests. Uh, right now.
0: Yeah. Another big, uh, you know, thing moving over the protests, which I'm sure that even if you are exposed only to anti-Cuban propaganda, you would have noticed, which is the embargo, uh, Cuba haters of which there are many, many, even so-called allies of Cuba who say, uh, who, who who repeat this talking point, they say that only the U S embargoes Cuba.
1: (laughs) Sorry. No, it's just like, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's sort of the same line um, that people parrot about the way that sanctions work. It's like, oh, well, we're just sanctioning this one little thing. It's not how sanctions actually operate in the real world.
0: It's the yeah, same thing
1: it, about the embargo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like, yes, only only the U.S. directly embargoes Cuba. I think Israel either did. I might be wrong on this, but I'm actually pretty sure that Israel had either an unofficial or maybe even semi-official embargo on Cuba for quite a long time too. I know their relationships are not great because of Cuba's support for, uh, for Palestinians. Um, but, uh, but this is, this is actually like not, you know, some kind of thing that you can kind of hand wave away. Like a lot of people hand wave away the sanctions on like Russia or Iran or any of the other countries that the U S sanctions, this is an actual real big, big looming part of Cuban life. Um, you know, Cuba is what, like 90 miles away from from the U.S. from Florida, I mean mm-hmm. it is you know we are we are of course the greatest power in this hemisphere, uh, I, I, both all of the continent continents of the Americas, uh, and uh, and we're one of the largest you know of course countries in the world and do quite a lot of trade and so Cuba is missing out on a huge market for sugar and coffee and cigars, a lot of the things that they export here, and so naturally they actually have to send that stuff way all across the world to their other main trading partners, which are mostly in Europe, in China, et cetera. Um the thing is though, it's not just like the immediate effects, uh, effects of the embargo. It's actually the entire history of the embargo. The a, a, a regional subcommittee uh at the UN for Latin America has estimated, I think in 2018, that Cuba has lost out on about $130 billion since 19, uh I think the embargo was was actually put in, in 1960, uh, or at least you know, late in 1959, uh, which is an insane amount of money for that country. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And uh, and the embargo was was tweaked a few times. There is a little bit of trade with Cuba, not a ton. It's mostly like in chicken and then some like I think over-the-counter medication. And, uh, Obama did lift a bunch of the sanctions, uh, in 2014, the embargo stayed in place. Only Congress can remove the embargo, but Trump tightened them, added more and really squeezed Cuba. In fact, I, you know, I, I will say you got to hand it to Obama, at least for a little bit of this is that he did, uh, lift a bunch of the restrictions against going to Cuba, which in fact, he very graciously lifted the day I got back from Cuba, having (laughs) had to fly through Mexico Both fucking ways because he's a piece of shit who knew I was over there, knew I had spent a bunch of basically all of my savings on going, and knew I had a really great time, but had to spend a bunch of time in the fucking airport in Mexico where they confiscated my fucking cologne, which is like, all right. I understand that it's weird that I travel cologne, especially because somewhere hot when I was really sweaty, but I thought that was uncool. They said it was dangerous, even though they let me in the country with it. And it was underneath the weight of stuff that you can fly with totally legal to do.
1: Your vacation got
0: obungled. Absolutely. Um, but Trump also pressured U.S. allies in Central and South America to kick Cuban doctors out. Now, many of you probably know that Cuba has a really uh, advanced medical system. Obviously, mm. they make do with a lot less money than other medical systems do. But, you know, they have a ton of doctors. Uh, Not they even really- do they
1: make do. I mean, it's incredible the advancements that they've made. Um, consider it, I mean, their, their medical system and their medical program and their advancements are world-class. Yeah. Um, and it should be noted that they've done that with very, very little money and very little access to the kind of resources that a country like America has. And, you know, you should ask yourself, Hey, wait a second. I wonder what we could do if we were say centrally planned and using all of those resources towards, Goals like, uh, like actually, you know, creating medicine. Yeah.
0: I mean, many people probably remember when Bolsonaro kicked all the Cuban doctors out of the country, which I bet he is regretting that now, huh? Bet they probably not. I mean, he hates, up. they
1: hate the Cubans.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. I know. But he's always, and, and I understand, you know, now it's everyone's joking, right? he was always in the hospital. I didn't know he was in the hospital because he couldn't uh, mm.
1: pass a bowel movement. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that really makes you think that makes me believe in simulation theory. Cause it's like, this is a joke. Yeah. This it's is like, he, this is so much more of a joke than Trump, except yeah, it's very much not a joke.
0: He <laughs> can't stop hiccuping and he can't take a shit. Like, come on, brother. Like no. I thought you're like some big bad, you know, fucking army guy.
1: I know, it's comical. He was like, yeah, he was like hiccuping through saying the his like statement on like the Cuban pro <laughs> he was like democracy hiccup. I can't do a hiccup. I almost just said demo- hiccup as the
0: Oh my god. It's actually saying it out loud here? Yeah.
1: Well terrible, he, terrible they, improv they, there, Liz.
0: They kicked. Well, you you just got to get back in the swing of it, baby. You got to get your clowning. I'm
1: swinging. Time. I do got to get my clowning back.
0: Um, but uh, but they kicked all the Cuban doctors out of the country, which I should add too. That isn't just like them being like, oh, we don't like these like communists out here in the you know in the jungle, like you know treating sick villagers or whatever. That's actually the Cuban doctors were a pretty important form of uh, of getting foreign currency for Cuba mm. too, which I'll get to right. in a, another little section here. But uh, but that was that was essentially. I mean, obviously Bolsonaro has no love for the Cubans, but there was a lot of pressure from the U.S. for these countries to kick. Yeah, I was just about to say
1: that. All of this is basically the embargo function is basically it's just a big fucking global muscle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cuba has also developed a lung cancer vaccine. Mm, Yeah. um, Which, uh, if you work for Salem Winston, if you work for Jewel. If you work for uh any of the other SIG Marlboro, which I think is just made by Salem Winston.
1: I love how you, hard it is to say that Marlboro.
0: Marlboro. Marb. <laughs> you gotta say because they want you to say Marbs because it sounds cool. Um, I don't
1: think that's true.
0: If you if you work for any of these these companies, I need you to pressure your bosses to get that vaccine here. <laughs> because if I can just keep smoking forever and just keep getting cured of fucking lung cancer, I mean. The amount of time you'll able to be able to stay cool in your life will be I mean, you can be cool basically until you're 120.
1: It's smoking. totally brilliant when you consider like how in demand Cuban scars are. It's like, exactly. hey, don't worry about it. We got the vaccine.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. There have also been, I mean, this is another complaint among the protesters, there have also been uh power outages pretty frequently, uh, up until I think it was on 2016, Venezuela was able to supply Cuba a lot of oil at really, really reduced prices um, when the economic screws were tightened on Venezuela by the US and when the global oil market was tanked by US allies, uh, that became less and less um, possible. And so there have been frequent power outages there. It is very hot in Cuba and uh, also people like to have the lights on. Uh, and then the, the, the final thing is coronavirus. Coronavirus. Yeah,
1: it it hit him pretty hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I am uh, I am living proof that uh, Cuban tourism is an in demand thing because I'm telling you, it was a blast. had a had a great time. Beautiful country. Spent almost a month there. Um, but uh, but one of Cuba's big, I guess, imports. I don't really know how to describe it, but big industries is tourism, and tourism is down yeah. at ninety four percent since uh, <sighs> since. Since Corona started, which is insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's a Uh, lot of revenue lost.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's again, like uh, you know, we should mention here. We're not going to go too deep into the dual currency thing, although it's a single currency now. But you know, uh, much has been made of the the fact that Cuba essentially has two currencies. At least it did when I was there. One, which is a, a currency basically for use on the island, and then the other one is also for use on the island, but it's it's basically. Uh, a tradable foreign currency. So it's like foreign exchange money. Um, one of their big ways of raising that, because the Cuban peso wasn't tied to the dollar or anything like that, was with tourism. And right, so right, right. with tourism dollars, they are able to spend the dollars that are brought into the country by tourists on trade. And of course, because Cuba is essentially planned economy, the government needs foreign exchange money to trade. And um, I mean, I know a lot of really small-time forex, uh, you know, traders who are addicted to Adderall, who I could probably get in touch with the Cuban, uh, Cuban government. But uh, this is, you know, obvious. I mean, they lost their biggest source of foreign exchange revenue, and so things have been very, very bad in terms of the government being able to buy things from other countries because they don't have any money to do that right now. Um, Cuba actually did pretty well with coronavirus at first. I remember there was a bunch of stories about yeah, this Yeah, it was year.
1: very, very well contained. They did one of the best – like, they had one of the best approaches, for sure, um, yeah. of any of the countries. And then, eventually, it kind of spread and got out of control, which I have some questions about.
0: Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, is like, you know, Cubans actually, I think, have around five coronavirus
1: vaccines. Yeah, which they've developed quite a few. I'm like, all right, do we need five? Well, I think they're uh, yeah I don't know um, but the the problem is is that they can't give them to people because they, like you said they don't have enough syringes.
0: Yes, the U.S. embargo has pretty stringent um, restrictions on what kind of medical supplies that Cuba can buy. Uh, I, there's a some kind of clause in there where where like any medical technology with like more than ten percent like American input into it uh or like ownage of the IP or anything like that. Uh you is cannot- in violation. Exactly. And God,
1: uh, so annoying.
0: Yeah. At one point they were gonna get some from uh a bunch of medical supplies from China. That was gonna be done through a US shipping company. That shipping company was either pressured to pull out, which is what I imagine, or pulled out for being in fear of the uh violating the embargo, which sounds fake to me because why would they sign up for it in the first place? Yeah, um, totally.
1: It's just pressure.
0: Yeah. So they have the vaccine, but they don't have a way of getting it into people. And so the culmination of all of this was a lot of protesters hit the streets on July
1: 11th. Well, um, let's be clear. Not yes. that many protesters. Yeah. That's,
0: that's something that has been amazing to me. Because if, Liz, if you were just judging by having read things, you would have thought the entire island of Cuba was out of the streets
1: you would think there would be a second revolution or i guess this would be called a counter revolution although i don't think the us would call it that but mm-hmm. that's what you would assume is happening a successful like crazy people taking to the streets and demand i mean not um people fed up because the the quality of life has diminished so much because of the embargo because of the covid situation and because of Again, the, a lot of the market reforms have diverted a lot of money and funding from housing and mm-hmm. infrastructure, like we said, like power and water and food and all that. It has diverted that away into, you know, other industries, including the tourist industry, hotels, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those are as a result of, again... The market reforms, but the people in the streets are protesting the quality of life, much like in a lot of protests we've seen throughout Europe over COVID, even in the US over COVID, lots of things. This happens a lot. But if you were reading the news or say, as we get to, scrolling through social media, um, you'd think it would be like thousands or hundreds of thousands.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's 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 sort of a really important thing to note here is that it's really only in countries that are enemies uh of the US, whether it's, you know, Iran or whether it's uh Russia or whether it's Cuba, where any sort of protest is seen as every single protester wants to overthrow the government of the
1: yeah. country. It's only countries and, that have regimes,
0: yes, yeah, yeah, only in a regime type country do you <laughs> have to overthrow the government if you get onto the streets,
1: yeah, if you're walking around during a regime, you're trying to overthrow the country That's a little I, life lesson from truenan, and I want you
0: to think of how many uh you know people you've seen in like maybe the past year, year and a half, maybe the past five years, ten years your whole life who have either gone to protests or said things online that were like anti government and think how many of those people actually would try to overthrow the United States government. Probably vanishingly small, if any, mm-hmm. right? And it's, 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 it's really a sign of just how horny the media gets about anti-Cuba stuff. And we saw this stuff in Nicaragua too, in Venezuela as well. Um, these, these people, these countries that are targeted by the U.S. and in the case of Cuba, have, had a war wage on it by the U.S. since its modern inception, only in those countries is that if you get onto the streets whatsoever, even if you're just protesting for wanting more food or different rations or you know the power to get fixed or something like that, that means that you want to string up the leaders and uh, and make uh, Cuba into the 51st state of the United States of America. <laughs>
1: So the media, the U.S. media, like, latched on, pounced on some of these photos that were coming out of Cuba and social media, like, real quick. You had stores everywhere, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, even some interesting leftist outlets, left-leaning outlets, uh, you know, saying... People are taking to the streets, demanding change. Is this revolution in Cuba? You know, you had statements from politicians, even left leading politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we stand in solidarity with the Cuban people. This is, you know, the, the greatest moment in Cuban <laughs> history, which is offensive um, on so many levels. Um, and everyone, you know, is a big old party with all of our favorites. The lying yeah, fake I'm, news media, the lying fake news politicians, and lying fake news social media. We need a new word for social media for our social media villains. On yeah, this show.
0: and it in and, 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 and uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this was, and this is we always see this in some in some way. I think I mean I, as you can well remember, one of the greatest rock and roll acts of all time, Pussy Riot, was a really exemplary version of this that happened in Russia. Uh, But there was there was all these articles and and especially on social media talk about this rap song called Patria Evita, which is just a dog shit song. Uh, that was supposed to have galvanized all of the protests. It did. Um,
1: it swept through the nation.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was It was just uh, – Marco Rubio says, like, uh, this was release was so impactful that you'll go to jail if caught playing it in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was – you know, there was an NPR explainer on it, which uh, – with, like, somebody actually, like, explaining all the references in it, although there aren't that many references in it, so there's, like, kind of – a lot of filler in it to be completely honest, um, and you know New York Times articles about it. I listened to it several thousand times to bump mm. up the uh, to bump up the, the listen count, so we have something to talk about on this episode. Um, I'm just kidding. No, it was it's it's been played millions and millions of times at least on YouTube. No idea how much on other stuff. Uh, and of course, the song is a you know plan words on Patria E morte. Which is my trying to speak Spanish or Muerte, excuse me, not Muerte, uh, which is uh which is my trying to speak Spanish there. That means you know, homeland of death, uh, which, you know, in Cuba is is not everywhere, but you see it quite a lot. It's basically the unofficial motto of yeah. the I mean, it might even be the official motto, I'm not really sure, uh, of the revolution. Um and uh and you might be like, wow, cool, like a rap song inspiring people, but <laughs> <laughs> Listeners may remember and in fact there was actually a blowback episode of the like a bonus episode that came out about this very subject a few days ago although it's more the history of it um there uh the history of the US government in rap in Cuba is a uh, a storied one um basically USAID uh, which is now led by uh Obergruppenführer Samantha Powers uh was caught funding Cuban rappers uh to the tunes of millions of millions. dollars like some
1: groups were getting like $500,000 each
0: insane uh in the early 2010s this is around the same time they were trying to start a <laughs> Cuban Twitter which I still use not a lot of guys on there anymore but I'm still I'm still on it um and uh and you know, there none of the none of the none of the members of the group that, that put out Patriot Evita have, have. I mean, obviously, also that was like seven. Fuck, I think it actually happened around eight or nine years ago. Uh, none of the members are directly connected, but it does make you uh, make you wonder. Uh, you know, obviously, the U.S. has tried to use rap music in Cuba to uh, to to foment anti-government beliefs, and uh, and. I'm not sure why we should think that they ever stopped or wouldn't continue that. Uh, obviously, it's successful in this instance. Um, and so this is this kind of stuff is still actually happening. NED, the National Endowment for Democracy, which uh, full disclosure does fund a significant part of this podcast, uh, is actually dispersing grants, according to Alan McLeod over at Mint Press News. Uh, with, with titles like empowering Cuban hip hop artists as leaders in society and one called promoting freedom of expression in Cuba through the arts. These are all in favor of democracy and human rights, which means democracy that is palatable to American business interests and human rights. Um, that, uh, that we get to decide who gets, uh, who gets locked up or killed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, human rights is one of those fun fungible uh, terms that basically means whatever the US decides it means yeah. and in whatever context.
0: Yeah. Mhm.
1: Yeah, I think people probably also if you hadn't if you hadn't heard um the rap song or you didn't come across that, you might have seen the hashtag, hashtag SOS Cuba, which is still being deployed. Um that was actually a Spanish analyst Julian Macias Tovar did some research into this hashtag, and it's pretty interesting uh the first use the first account to use that hashtag wasn't actually Cuban but from Spain classic <laughs> um yeah, he found out that like you know that same account, the one that first uh used hashtag s o s Cuba and kind of like spread this whole thing, posted about it about thirteen hundred times that day that account is now since been suspended by Twitter. It's not on the website anymore because it was flagged, rightly, I guess, as a, a bot, robot guy, robot man, mm-hmm. or lady. Tovar also found that one of the guys fueling the hashtag was actually an Argentinian guy, Augustin Antonetti, um, who's actually part of a right wing group. He has also worked on other campaigns against Evo and AMLO in Mexico. And so it looked like, I mean, there's, it's a pretty interesting report. I read about, I think it was on Telesor, uh English. They had like, f- they had mapped out like different matrices of like 1500 social media accounts that participated in this, this like operation that day using that hashtag. And um, like all of them, the, like the guys like responding to other like big artists and big check marks using the, the hashtag, all of them were accounts that have been, that had been, uh, like, started, created between July 10th and July 11th.
0: hmm
1: So I know it sounds like crazy libtard, whatever, be like, oh, the bots, the bots, whatever. But, like, actually, no, this whole entire hashtag uh, matrix And its use on the internet all literally started from bots and a well-funded operation at that because um, I think that Tovar does a great job of explaining and, and really like looking into this of how sophisticated this one was as compared to ones in the past.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the sort of SOS country name uh, is basically always a good sign that there are some malicious actors involved. We saw an SOS Nicaragua, SOS Venezuela. People love using SOS uh, in these sort of hashtags, which I got to be real. It's that's a that's a that's a ship thing. Don't bring that on land. It's disgracing the purity of the sea. But it was a briefly, although it seems like it's sort of fading in prominence as the news cycle moves on, and also as the the protests have essentially ended. Um, it, it was part of a what appears to be a very multi pronged strategy to really push the fact that you know Cuba is in crisis and that we need to help somehow. That's always the thing. And according to basically everybody from any side of this, you know, the the, the political spectrum here is that Cubans are trying, are protesting against their authoritarian government. And so you start to wonder what they mean by help here. There are some politicians, you know, I think DeSantis said this. I know that a lot of Miami politicians have said this in a very, very clear way. But, you know, to some people that means military action. A lot of more people are sort of more open-ended on what that means. But it can really only mean one thing, which is support for people trying to overthrow the Cuban government. If there isn't enough uh, enough organic support, then we'd have to create some. Uh, and so there is essentially... No way that this that this breaks out of uh, out of this sort of fighting a war type dynamic here, which again we have been fighting a war on Cuba essentially since the revolution, or not essentially directly since the revolution. We also saw A lot of protests within the U.S. Uh, I would say it was probably more people protesting in the U.S. at most points than there actually were in Cuba, including in Miami, shutting down the freeways. And then Mm -hmm. remember, like there was this was this was for about a day a really hot topic. There was going to be a reverse boat lift, a caravan of boats down to Cuba, and uh, this was a. they had all these plans, and you know, people people had these big meetings. I, you know, I saw videos of these with a bunch of boaters in Florida. Uh, it looks like they were all turned back by the Coast Guard, and <laughs> so none of them made it to Cuba. Um, but uh, Best but that, plan of boaters, exactly. I know boaters have really had a hard time of it lately. I mean, the the Trump administration was great for them, and then since then, it's just it's 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 gone south for our for our sweet friends on the high seas, our
1: beautiful boaters,
0: yeah. But one thing that really stood out to me was the prevalence of infographics.
1: (laughs) Well, not just infographics. I, you know, let me pause here because I want to say, you know, a lot of people saw the hashtag on Twitter. We've talked a lot about Twitter. We've talked a lot about Facebook. One thing we have not talked a lot about is Instagram Mm -hmm. and what has like, transpired or grown over the past like couple years, I think. And especially in the year of COVID or year and a half of COVID or whatever, um, has been just like Instagram influencer culture and the use of, I I cannot, what I'm trying to say is I cannot believe how much stuff I saw shared on Instagram by like non-political people (laughs) about with like videos, hashtag Cuba SOS, hashtag we have to do something, mm-hmm. hashtag, you know, whatever, whatever. And I mean like bloggers and influencer types and, you know, people that really um, maybe up until the last year or so, like haven't been participating in this kind of discourse. Like maybe other like news media apparatchiks ha- you would expect on Twitter, right?
0: Yeah. and And you've mentioned... <laughs> And complained about a lot of the weird shit that you've seen on Instagram over mm. the past few years and how it's essentially driven a certain cohort of of what I think I, I would term uh, normal people that you know uh, into like hyper politicized, but in this very strange Instagram specific way. Um, and and I, I haven't really seen much of that. Most of the people I uh, follow on social media platforms are just... Um, me- really mentally unwell people of various stripes uh who who don't share much of anything except uh except their personal demons usually uh but I have seen quite a lot of this too really spring up I mean especially last summer uh during the during the protests and now like really hard uh with the sos Cuba stuff and it's been it's been wild to see because the language is essentially the same in each of them. And, and I was wondering, and this has to do with the corporate Memphis stuff too, because they all have a very specific look to them, right? Usually beige pastels. Um, I think, what, what do you turn like a bisexual type look to these things? Uh, oftentimes use of the corporate, me- people will know what I'm talking about. You don't have to give me that. Uh, with what I I would say too, like, you know, heavy use, although less than the SOS Cuba stuff um, of corporate Memphis style drawings, and then a certain set of language uh, ticks, let's say. I mean, one of the, one of the best infographics I saw, and actually the first infographic I saw about SOS Cuba was how to be an ally to the Cuban people. Hmm. Now, that ticks off a huge box for me, too, because there's one thing I've striven to be since I was but a boy was to be an ally to any kind of people, but especially our friends down in Cuba. Um, you know, there are a bunch of different slides in this. You can guess what every single one of them says before I even say it. So Wait, I don't is there
1: one to- that's like, listen to Cuban people? <laughs>
0: Well, there's spread awareness, lend your voice to the fight, learn about the situation, help in way, any way you can, and check in. This mm-hmm. is actually my favorite one. Check in on the Cuban people in your life by asking how we're doing and let us know you support our people. Since July 11th, it has been emotionally and mentally taxing on Cubans, especially the diaspora, to see on such wa- a wide scale the suffering of our people, not knowing how our families are doing and having to see videos and photos of our, young pe- our people being beaten and taken away by the government to join the military against their will. This is, though, I think, the crowning achievement of this, which is have conversations without gaslighting Cubans about their experience <laughs> Don't gaslight Cubans by attempting to tell us you know our history better than we do It's an offensive It's offensive in an attempt to downplay the generational trauma and voices of Cubans who have suffered mm. immensely at the hands of a dictatorship.
1: Yeah, I saw that a lot, and I've seen that a lot. That's um, everyone's favorite. Um, standpoint of epistemology, that only mm. people of, you know, a certain sect can speak about certain things. Um, it doesn't matter if the Cubans in America fled the revolution and have a history of being, you know, anti, of, of being anti or counter revolutionary themselves. What matters is that you listen to them.
0: Yeah. And the gaslighting thing there is really just the icing on the cake, but that, that is, that's been one of the most insane things that I've seen sort of develop uh, within the past. I mean, I'm sure it was around before then, but really gain a lot of steam in the past four years. That whole standpoint thing, where it's like, the, you actually can't count, comment on something that you know about because that you don't have lived the same lived experience as somebody who lives in New Jersey. Mm. When in fact, here's here's the deal with this baby: is our country has had a huge, in fact, I would say bigger than any other country effect on Cuba. It's since its inception as a state. I mean, since basically we, we kicked out the Spanish there. Uh, it is a We are a country that has been at war with Cuba since 1959. And that's what bugs me so much about this shit too is the fact that, you know, you, you see all these people being like, well, Cuba's got to stop with this and you know, do this and do that. And especially all these photos, sort of like mealy mouth losers on the left who talk about like how Cuba, you know, this authoritarian stuff. It's like your country is at war with this tiny little fucking country. It is trying to strangle this country. It is trying to overthrow the government of this country. And here you are, fucking AOC coming in, like, lady... Talk to your fucking colleagues about the embargo before you fucking dare to tell people how to live in fucking Cuba. It is insane to me that these dogs continue to bark despite the fact that these fat American pigs want nothing more than to take all of Cuba's resources and sugar and all that shit for themselves. I think a lot of people really think that propaganda has to just look like, um, I don't know, some some old style like drawing of like a pig German eating a baby mm. or, or something. Or it's just
1: like Fox News or MSNBC. It doesn't exactly. exist anywhere else except for on the TV or in the newspapers.
0: Yeah. Or like a, just a fake, fake hashtag or something like mm. that or like a bot. But like this stuff is actually can be, I don't want to say like, comes from below too, but this stuff is shared like peer to peer too. And and it comes in this really familiar way, this sort of like corporate Memphis looking way. And that's, you know, sort of shorthand for the whole infographic look here. So I, I think I think a lot of people have noticed, I mean, and certainly a lot of people have made fun of the way that 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 infographics have sort of taken on this very particular look, right? That's easily parodied, but also is just totally ubiquitous. Um there's a there's a Wired article about this that came out a couple of years ago and uh, has a quote that says influential designer David Rudnick says that's that what makes corporate Memphis particularly insidious is that its worldview is designed to be misleading. It depicts a world whose problems are already solved, built out of cl- complementary components. He says it's a deliberate oversimplification. Mm-hmm. Corporate Memphis allows these companies to offer the illusion of a world without hierarchies where users are afforded the same access and privileges as those who control the platforms. As Rudnick points out, even if the style can suggest a play for a world that values creativity, the illustrations done in corporate Memphis style are rarely, if ever, credited to the artist who produces them. Which, if I was one of those artists, I would be very thankful.
1: Yeah, I'd that. be like, ooh, take it
0: off. But but that's a good point is that I actually think a lot of the sort of sensibility that comes along with these infographics things comes from the kind of people who use these at their businesses and in their corporate jobs
1: yeah I mean I think that that kind of flattening uh, worldview follows from also the mediums that they're intended for right I mean the the the, na- the nature <laughs> and the way that say like Instagram and other social medias social media platforms operate. I mean, I'm thinking Instagram specifically, and I, yeah, I do want to talk about Instagram specifically, but the way that it, um, kind of operates is to kind of, uh, present this sort of flattened worldview, right. Where everything is equal. There are no hierarchies. It's just the quote unquote algorithm. We're all mercy to the algorithm and everything, um, you know, it's a space, a completely and totally democratized or could possibly someday be democratized space where everyone every voice can be equal and every place has its or every part has its place right and mm. that's just not true um for a lot of reasons I mean I think it's a it's 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 mystifies a lot of things actually um so both in its de- design and form
0: yeah I- exactly i mean I, I I think I mean you know we've made this point on the show uh I think a couple times before but when when people talk about how like the internet is at all democratic, or even has the possibility of being a democratic, which whatever the fuck that means, uh, type of platform, they are lying to you or they're so deluded as to be mentally insane. Um, these platforms aren't designed for that. These platforms are designed. This is always 100%, uh, enemy terrain. And I think Instagrams no different. I mean, the, the, the thing too, is like, what makes instagram even more i think influential in a lot of people's lives as opposed to other social media platforms is the fact that it's a prevalence of pictures right
1: absolutely i mean I've, i mean 1000% that's what what makes i think that's the number one i mean this is why people talk a lot about youtube but they somehow forget instagram i mean this is what makes those mediums so powerful um you know, when we talk about, pr- when we, even the word propaganda, it sounds like like some other thing, right? It's like something that someone else produces and we consume, but we don't think about the reproduction of propaganda. And no. that's something that is innate to these platforms. And I think it's so fascinating. Um There was like some study a couple years ago that was like ranking how awful all the platforms are, like by like, you know, user survey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like 63% of Instagram users report being miserable was like some headline I remember reading. And it was the highest out of any other platform. And there's a reason for that. And I think that like the visual component is the, is the key part here. Um, yeah. There's this sort of like, there's also something... That I don't think a lot of people, I don't know, people used to talk about this a lot and, and, and they don't so much anymore, which is like the power of FOMO or fear of missing out, mm-hmm. which fuels a lot of the way that this stuff gets reproduced, I think, especially when you see it in the kind of like influencer sphere, where, you know, it's like we can say that hashtag SOS Cuba is, uh, you know, an op, either by direct government Intervention, like CIA or whatever, or through various um, counter-revolutionary organizations, and their their various NGOs, which all have their own kind of like you know spheres of direct influence from the government, of course, right? But the way that that gets then how what we say shared, or you know what I'd like to say is re- what you know how that gets reproduced isn't you isn't as like everyone's on CIA payroll, <laughs> no. you know what I mean, like. The thing with Instagram is that, and especially with a lot of the kind of, Nate, like you said, a lot of people getting politicized or kind of feeling pressure to be politicized, which is different, um, over the past, I don't know, let's say since Trump's election in 2016, where people felt mm-hmm. like they were caught flat-footed by things that were happening in America, by people electing Trump or whatever, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure for everyone to say something. Don't be the person on the sidelines got to say something, got to stand up. Silence is violence. Silence is violence, got to participate, don't, you know, and it's, so there's a pressure there that you have to participate, but also there's a pressure that, oh, everyone's always talking about this, I'm gonna talk about this, right? And you see what, and you see this on Instagram, whether it's like, you know, the way people dress their babies or the way girls pose for selfies or whatever kind of new balance people are getting gifted Or fucking interiors, or vacation pics, or whatever, and and or fucking social justice hashtags. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's so striking to me how little it's talked about. Because I think too, like, I don't know. I mean, Instagram really scares me. (laughs) I'll say, like, on our vacation in the week before, um, I just like haven't been on Twitter because I just. I haven't wanted to. And also I'm moving and I can't deal with it. It's too much. It annoys Mm. me. Um, And the benefit is I have absolutely no idea what's going on in the world, which is very cool. Or I know what's going on in the world, but I don't know what people's opinions about it are, which is also very cool. (laughs) But the downside is that I spend a lot of time on Instagram, (laughs) which I think I was telling you guys about. And it's like, (sighs) I think that this thing is so dangerous in such a different way than Facebook or Twitter or even YouTube because YouTube is like somehow like um, you know, there's there's still a distance there where you feel like you're watching something where with Instagram you feel like fully immersed and participating in something else. And whether it's the way you, and I hate this fucking word, like curate your Mm. feed or your posts or whatever, like, What Instagram does, how it functions is that it teaches us to view and relate to the world as we'd like it to be, as we've quote unquote curated it rather than as it actually exists. Um, And that includes like the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at others, the way we look at other parts of the world, the way we, you know, view everything. Um, And that becomes a very dangerous, that's a very dangerous mechanism because it's teaching us to interact with a world that doesn't exist and will never exist, um, but is some kind of perfected ideal, right? Mm-hmm. And it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real like dissonance that's, that's you know, present there um, where people then you come into contact with something that doesn't look like that. It can be really destabilizing, you know, like your Instagram is teaching us to like le- to love the world insofar as it just depicts and benefits and reflects back to us what we want it to be. That's yeah. very dangerous, and in fact, I would go go so far as to say that that's like a totalitarian project, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to like get all like you know fucking Frankfurt School, like for dummies or whatever, and me being the dummy. But like, I have really not seen a lot of kind of reflection about that and and those that kind of like visual mechanism from like anybody, you know.
0: Well, I mean, I think too, like you know think of how insane everyone has gotten over the past 5 years like just deranged probably everybody listening to this is picturing somebody yeah. that they know and
1: and and talking or, on this
0: yeah yeah and talking on this exactly <laughs> I don't we're I mean,
1: not excusing ourselves I'm all in this there's no outside here yeah, we're on n- the inside n- baby with everyone else
0: <laughs> exactly i mean we're all we're all we're all in the pit together but like I mean, it, just think of how like hysterical and psychotic and depraved and everything everybody's gotten, um, since really just like social media just became more and more a part of people's lives, and the internet just in general became a part of people's lives. And something I think about a lot is that I think maybe the human brain like isn't supposed to be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. like it 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 like it induced some like minor and new form of like alien, uh, well, I guess it's not alien then, but this this new form of like mental illness that isn't quantifiable as such, but mm. like you know nonetheless more mimics a mental illness in people, and like causes them to have like like you said earlier like this like dissonance between like reality and what they're what they're sort of doing on the uh on the computer, and, and you know it, it, it is. It induces such an incredible amount of like conformity. I mean, think of even like yes, like the rose emoji type or the you know the Groyper, All these weird online subcultures that one person is essentially identical to the next, and the, the you know the the way that they speak and the things that they speak about, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which you know is to be expected. There's always monoculture. Yeah, exactly. No, but it's it's like a discrete series of of subcultures of this one big like online monoculture, right? And that, like, maybe slightly varies from platform to platform, but is essentially the same thing. And, like, it is becoming very clear what that's, like, cohering into. And, you know, it's a, a lot of it has to do with these, like, corporate Memphis, which I'm using as shorthand here, even though I have masturbated. Yeah, to it's the a vibe. Yes. Um,
1: yes. I'm going to pretend um, I didn't hear that because I didn't. No, hear it you too already
0: much. interacted with me when I was saying that. So we can't cut that out. Oh, uh, so, did. yes, I will say, me mist- masturbating to the corporate Memphis women is a vibe. Um, but, uh, <laughs> 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 I would say,
1: <laughs> Honestly, that isn't no, true. No, don't even so, say it. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it's,
0: it's a crazy-making thing. I mean, I would wager that a lot of people that you, and I'm saying to you, Liz, but mm. also to you, the listener, the listener, uh, a lot of people that you know have been driven essentially insane by the internet in some way or another. And I would say, like the, the way that we we produce and reproduce and consume this propaganda is, uh, you are unable to separate that from the rest of it.
1: Absolutely well, I think, unable. I think too. Like I, one thing I do want to like point out and push back a little on is like I do think sometimes people like to think of the internet. This which is by the way that we use that again. That's also shorthand. The internet, right? you know, these like the way you interact with your phone on your, on the apps or on social networks or on WhatsApp, you know, or, you know, wherever dating apps, whatever, there's this idea that there's the internet, which is something that can kind of be cleaved off from this other concept that is called the real world. Yeah. And like, that's not true. No, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It is 2021. Like the internet is fucking fully immeshed and structurally integrated into the real world. It is the real world. There yeah, is no separation. Yeah. You know, and like, there's this kind of, um, I don't, I have my suspicions about why, but there's this sort of dismissal and kind of disavowal that happens when people get uncomfortable with this or don't want to like really interrogate or think about this too much. And I understand why, whatever, just say like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just online or, or that's just, oh, don't worry about it. That's just like, that exists over there. That's a thing yeah. that I can point to and I'm outside of it. And when I'm trying Twitter's to say- Twitter's not real life. Yeah, and what I'm trying to say is like no, you know, like we all eat from the trash can, right? And the trash can includes every single thing that you, you know what I mean. You don't separate these things. There is no logging off. You know what I mean? And I don't. I mean, you can. I I'm not on Twitter right now or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to get at, right? What I'm saying yeah. is like, like a video was shared on Twitter last summer that then took the U.S. by storm and cities burned. Like, this shit is enmeshed, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you see this stuff, you know, when the whole thing I'm saying about sharing and reproducing is that, like, we are all part of this, right? Like, we Mm -hmm. are all in this system. We are all little parts in the system. There is no standing outside. There is no not eating at the trash can or looking at other people eating at the trash can, right? Yeah. And so I think the biggest task is not to, like, get bummed out about that or, like, somehow that means that, There's no escape or, oh, fuck, what do we do? Blah, blah, blah. I'm, You know, whatever. It's not nihilism. It's, okay, what is this system and how do we understand it? Mm. How do we pull the veil back? How do we see how, you know, this guy is mapping these matrices for this hashtag? That's one part, right? But how do these systems of production and reproduction that happen in these real world internet spaces, that's one concept, it's just the world, you know, these are all social Interactions—that means they're inherently political. What is the production that's happening here, and how can we understand it?
0: Yeah, and who does it benefit?
1: Well, benefits are enemies.
0: That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That that that's that's something that 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 really should be made like explicitly clear. I'm not saying this is like in like a a podcaster type way. Like the internet (laughs) is enemy terrain. Like it was invented. I mean, if we're taking the literal route, you know, we we did that episode with Yasha. Fucking. 15 years ago or whatever, but you know, it was invented by, by uh, government scientists and mil- the military, but also just the way that it's utilized in the day to day is, is essentially for like, there is no, to me, at least I know people would argue about this, but most of the people who would argue with me about this are pedophiles or pedophile adjacent. Mm-hmm. There is no, like you can't carve out a liberatory space online. Like just like you can't carve, you can't make your own little chat. Well, you actually probably could make a chat online, but you you can't like carve out your own like little you know circle of liberation online. It, it's impossible. That does not exist. The most you can do is like, I mean, in the immediate sense. Besides, of course, my fiber optic plan, which we do not need to discuss on the podcast. Uh, the most you can do is essentially keep all this shit in mind and really be critical when you consume anything. Or or don't. I mean, you could also, you know, if probably would benefit your mental health to some extent to just use the internet a lot less. But, you know, I mean, God <laughs> knows that'll fall on deaf ears. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if you think about like it it, it really it it's uh it, it it sort of shocks me somehow sometimes uh just how misery making like this this device and these, this, this technology that we use is on most people's lives that, you know, I mean, I guess it affords us some modern conveniences like um, Spotify and the uh, podcast app of your choosing. (laughs) But but like beyond that, I think, I mean, and probably including that for a lot of people too, is it, it, it likely just makes you fucking insane and miserable. Um, and, and I think that's something to keep in mind in addition to the political aspects of that. I mean, certainly I'll be real with you fucking you 99% of the time I look at my phone, it makes me just horrifically depressed. Yeah. Um, And so uh, I also just hate answering any kind of messages uh, of any kind. Oh, my God. It's
1: so annoying how you never respond. I know when you – it's like this is what happens. I text Brace and we're having a conversation and then I say something and then he just doesn't respond. And I'm like, you just decided to not text me back even though we're in the middle of a conversation. I put the phone down.
0: It drives me so crazy. yeah, yeah. Well, usually I pick up the phone and I pick up a book and I head to the bank and then to the gym. You don't do any of that. Uh, weird. That's crazy. How would you even know that? I never see you at the bank. Because
1: <laughs> I'm always at the gym.
0: Yes. No, you're not there either. Because I don't, I don't want know where Delta. you are. I'm not
1: going anywhere, baby.
0: Granted, I spend most of my time at the gym at the Lower East Side Equinox Men's Showers. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. That we were joined by producer. Wow. I was uh, I thought we you are just joined said, though we are th- joined. Th- <laughs> though, although, we're, although we may be joined by producer Young Chomsky.
1: The podcast is also, still called True oh, oh, So I can't say anything? I thought it would be cute if I jumped in.
0: Okay, that was adorable.
1: I love you. Oh my god. You know, you made a joke online about saying I love you on the podcast. Didn't yeah. you do that from the turn-on account? Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say, I know when that happened.
0: No. But I'm not telling. No, 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 no. They're going to try to figure it out. But they won't. Uh, we are signing off now. I don't have anything more to say. You say the last line of the podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I love you. <laughs>
1: The foreign Fidel Castro dick writers are going around right now, gaslighting Cubans.